So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Article has launched their new line of outdoor products for summer 22 with 42 new pieces plus a selection of bestsellers from seasons past. Article has what you need to outfit the deck of your dreams this summer. Rachel, you've been talking about getting some new outdoor furniture. I think it's time for me to do the same. This is the perfect reason to do that. 42 new pieces and a selection of bestsellers. All of their furniture is so modern looking and so chic. I'm so excited. I love hanging out on the website and just fantasizing about a new backyard. Article's team of designers focuses on beautifully crafted pieces, quality materials, and durable... Article has launched their new line of outdoor products for summer 22, with 42 new pieces plus a selection of bestsellers from seasons past. Article has what you need to outfit the deck of your dreams this summer. Rachel, you've been talking about getting some new outdoor furniture. I think it's time for me to do the same. This is the perfect reason to do that. 42 new pieces and a selection of bestsellers. All of their furniture is so modern looking and so chic. I'm so excited. I love hanging out on the website and just fantasizing about a new backyard. (laughs) Article's team of designers focuses on beautifully crafted pieces, quality materials, and durable construction. They are dedicated to the modern aesthetic of mid-century Scandinavian industrial and bohemian designs. It just goes so well in every part of my house, uh, from my closet to my backyard. I can find a chic piece that is affordable. It's fast. It's the answer to everything I need to just revamp any room in my house. Article is offering our listeners $50 off their first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash OC and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash OC to get $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Welcome to the OC Bitches. Welcome to the OC Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you do the uh, intro today. Okay. Yeah. That's my <laughs> cute little Rachel Bilson. <laughs> Guys, today we are doing a special bonus episode. Um, we have a very special guest. Today we're talking with, again, our special guest, because that's what it says here, <laughs> Alan Heinberg, writer, producer, and comic book writer. Alan was the screenwriter for 2017's Wonder Woman. And his past television writing and producing credits include Party of Five, Sex and the City, Gilmore Girls, Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, and the upcoming Neil Gaiman's... Is that right? Did I say it right? Yeah. Yeah, The Sandman. I'm so excited for that, by the way. Adaptation project for Netflix. He has also written the comic book series Young Avengers and co-wrote JLA. 
He worked with us on season one and two of The O.C., and we're so lucky to have him here to join us today. Welcome, Alan. Thank you, guys. I'm so lucky to be here. Oh, really? my gosh. We're I so this. happy you're here. I'm such a fan of the podcast, the webcast, the video Pod- cast. Oh. The experience. <laughs> All the casts. All the casts. <laughs> yeah. Is it reminiscent of the stage? I am I really feel like I'm in the pool house right now in Manhattan <laughs> Beach. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> on that sound on stage. On that stage. Uh, I mean, my mind was just blown. The Sex and the City credit. I mean, I... Yeah. That's a big deal. Do for you me. know which one oh. he wrote? No. Can you we tell just me? talked about it. We did? We talked about the episode? I was on the third and the fourth seasons, the the Aiden seasons. Yes. Um, so my name is on four of them. Okay. Across it's I think we each did two each season because we were doing 13, I think, at uh-huh. the time. Um my first, I'm not getting, oh, Hot Child in the City was my first one with Hot Comic Book Guy. Hot Child in the City. Yeah. Oh, with Comic Book Guy. Yeah, when when uh, Sarah Jessica meets, goes into a comic book store, and I can't remember how yeah. I got her into a comic store, but there Wait, was Wait, is this, he the one? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes, Mrs. Kane. Adams? Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, you don't even <laughs> the know. The chicken wings and the pot. My friends and I, all we ever say is like when we want something is, yes, Mrs. Adams. <laughs> 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 that is like iconic. Oh. oh, my God. That is so exciting. I'm we talked very about this. Moved yeah. by that. <laughs> we did talk about <laughs> yeah. it. Okay. Well, that, I, well, I get say, to talk about it with Alan. That's yeah. a perfect <laughs> example, a perfect segue into the OC. <laughs> and uh, just to let you know, like Michael Patrick King, who uh, Darren and, and Michael Patrick King were running that show when I joined them, Michael Patrick King was all about, you know, bring as much of yourself and your life and your experience into the show. You know, we were writing it autobiographically. And I I feel like Josh, like I would, you know, I was the, at that point when I joined the OC, um, I was basically coming right from Sex and the City. And we talked about that a lot. And as you know, Josh borrowed, <laughs> you know, there was so much of him in the show and there was so much of all of us in the show because we were, first of all, we had to write it very quickly and we never left each other's sides ever. Mm-hmm. So we needed material to pull from. But it it was a lesson that Michael Patrick King taught me at the time that was like, right, Write what's going on right now for you, and and bring as much of yourself to it as possible to make it to make it incredibly personal. And then Josh took that to a whole <laughs> other level on the OC. Yeah, yeah. we so. were just yeah. The fact that he he just was writing what he liked, what his tastes were, and being so young in the in in the industry. Yeah, it was it wasn't following a formula or that traditional Fox teen drama formula, which they thought they had bought from him. They thought they had. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, That Trojan horse coming. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't have time to, we didn't have any time. We were, we were working so fast and there were so many episodes. And so you end up putting all your stuff in there. Um, Not so many episodes nowadays, huh? No, but oddly, it takes longer to make. I mean, oh, I've really? been working on season one of Sandman for three years. Oh my gosh. And we had a, we have 11 episodes. Wow. So, but I mean, we're still, I'm still imposed on. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm just, I'm writing new stuff for episode one and we wrapped eight months ago. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, that is different. (laughs) Yeah, it's a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. But uh, but yeah, so Sex and the City was a, that was a game changer for me because I had never, uh, all that material, that was stuff that happened to us that we were going through at the time. You were getting really stoned? <laughs> Completely stoned. <laughs> eating a lot of chicken wings. But there's like Wonder Woman stuff in there with SJ and the, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah. Well, speaking of Wonder Woman, if if we might, if we may, can yeah. we go back to, yeah, yeah. you know, I love researching our guests and, and learning and then talking about what your journey was 
you started as a child actor yeah, I and was singer, yeah. right? Yeah, I was a performer. Um, and that's all I wanted to do. I was one of those <laughs> annoying six-year-olds who was like, you know, my audition, I would audition for musicals. Yeah. And I was, I started at 10. But like my up-tempo, well, I should say like my ballad was the song Being Alive from Stephen Sondheim's Company, which is this song about this, you know, almost turning, I guess he turns 30 in the musical man <laughs> who like just wants to at some point let someone in and be connected. <laughs> yeah. And I'm 10 years old singing, you know, somebody crowd me with love. You know? <laughs> I can just see this. And, uh, and where yeah. did you grow up? In Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. Yeah, I took myself very seriously. It was, I was, it was I've all about... i been to Tulsa. Why? <laughs> I know. Well, that's another story for another day. Uh, but yes, I have been to Tulsa. It's, I mean, it's beautiful. Yes. And obviously, a 10-year-old in 1980, 1979, who wants to be an actor can have a career. <laughs> right. So, thank you, Tulsa. But you got yourself to Yale. Yeah. Uh, immediately. <laughs> immediately <laughs> at 10. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get out of there. Because Jews in Tulsa, gay Jews in Tulsa. <laughs> I think that's still a little bit rare well, yeah. and problematic. Well, and, and that's, well, we'll get into that, but that's kind of the way, way Seth felt, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that was, Josh and I bonded. I mean, I think, I think you know, being outsiders, we bonded over that very, very early on. The biggest theme in the OC, outsiders. Yeah. 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 Um, but I definitely grew up that way. I had to get out of there as fast as I could and go find my people. So. Yeah. That was at Yale and then Broadway. Yeah. I was really, I mean, I was super focused. <sighs> Uh, and intense. I wasn't, I don't know how much fun I was to be around. I, <laughs> I, I do, and I, I I don't think I was. Um, but I graduated from Yale into an off-Broadway musical about the Holocaust. It didn't have a long run. <laughs> it, felt, but, it sounds very Mel about Brooks. About the Holocaust. Um, I know, was, I'm like, is there a matchmaker I, involved? No, <laughs> it, it was an amazing experience. It was um, called Hana 1939, and Julie Wilson was the star of it. Wow. And uh, it was about a Jewish high fashion designer, it was based on a true story, high fashion designer in Poland. And when the Nazis came in, they commandeered her factory to make Nazi uniforms. Oh. So she had to be, it was her, how she found a way to sort of fight back. Um, but that was, that was my... Uh, I'm I like, I my, want the movie well, adaptation it, hearing this. Musical, the musical version. I mean, there were some really good songs. Bob Merrill is an incredible songwriter. But, um, but yes, so I sang and danced my way into New York City, got my equity card, and then worked professionally until I was about, I guess, until I was about 30. Mm -hmm. And I started writing plays in college and then was writing at the same time that I was acting. And as you guys know, it's, you know, you are so dependent as an actor on other people's mm. vision and material. And let's, you know, even getting a job as an actor, you, you have so little control over any of it that I started writing because I wanted to give myself opportunities to work, but also my friends. It was especially at Yale where there was this feeling of like, you just want to graduate and go to New York with your friends and form a theater company and a rep company and just work. So, um, so yeah, so I reached this point in New York where I was in a Broadway show that Jerry Zachs directed called Laughter on the 23rd Floor. And then a play that I had written about Wonder Woman called The Amazons of Voice uh, was produced off-Broadway at Manhattan Class Company. And it was this incredible experience of going to rehearsal every day and then going to a Broadway show every night, you know, 
And I, and there just was no comparison mm -hmm. in terms of the experience. So it became really clear. And my best friend at the time is an actor. Now she's a director called Jen Thompson. Mm -hmm. And she was, she and Sarah Jessica were in Annie together on Broadway when oh, they were kids. My. They were both orphans in Annie. Gosh. Um, <laughs> so when I got the Sex in the City gig, I was able to say to SJ, like, I know Jen Thompson. So we had friends in common. Um, but uh, her parents have been actors. She's an actor. Her brother is an actor. And she said to me, my darling, if it's not enough for you to show up at a Broadway theater every day and sign your initials on the contact sheet, then you got to move over and give it to somebody else because that's enough for most people. Wow. And, and I was like, yeah, I, she's absolutely right. So I stopped auditioning. I kept working for another year probably, but I stopped auditioning and I just focused on writing. And then, um, and then uh, weirdly, because of that the Wonder Woman play that, that we did at Manhattan Glass Company, I got this job, this guy, this producer who's very nice named Norman Twain. He'd produced a lot of movies of the week. He decided to like bring me in. Friends had just hit, right? It was like season one of Friends. And he was like, every week I want you to come in here and I want you to pitch me a new sitcom. And I <laughs> didn't know what that entailed. So I was like, yes, I will. <laughs> And so for six weeks, I pitched him like six different sitcoms with premises and casts. And like, now it like, I don't know how, I mean, I have them all and they're, you know, they're probably not very good, but, um, but yeah, so that was, that led to my writing a spec episode of Friends. And then... That was your first That was Hollywood the first time job. I ever... Oh, really? I, well, I didn't sell oh, the oh, Friends. Oh, sorry, it was a spec. It was okay. a spec, but it was a sample. And then I found myself at a friend's wedding in Los Angeles and I was seated next to the showrunner of Murphy Brown, mm -hmm. which was a very big hit show at the time. It was a long time ago. Um, and he asked for my material. We became friends and uh, he asked for my material. And then he hired me to be, to come out to LA and be a staff writer on the show. He was taking over that next year, which was uh, a sitcom on NBC called The Naked Truth with Tay Leone. I remember And it that. was on after Seinfeld. Wow. It was It was one of those time slot. You know, it was friends and then a single guy and then... Thursday Seinfeld nights. and yeah, it was yeah. Thursday nights. So wow. that was my that's how I got here. Wow. It was thanks to my friend Michael Saltzman that at is that so, wedding. At that wedding. Yeah. And it was for a sitcom. And it was for a sitcom. That's a different thing, right? Writing for a sitcom. <sighs> I mean, you, I keep trying to like break into that world. I'm like, how do I do well, it? Well, I mean, honestly, for actors, it, I think it's much better because you're working, your hours are so much better. Right, and right. it's five days a week. And right. like the dramas are, ki I mean, as you guys know, it's yeah. killer. I can't killer. even imagine. The quality of life is a little bit compromised. Yeah. yeah. Your schedule on Heart of Dixie must have been just like. It was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sitcoms are definitely for actors are the way to go. But for writers, it's. It's a, it's a it's darker... It's so quick, right? Yeah. The turnaround and everything. I heard an interview where you were talking about the writer's rooms being, speaking of writer's rooms, yeah. being different, really slightly different, different because um, they're they're very, in sitcoms, they're a little cutthroat or... Very competitive. Okay. May the best joke win. Right, I was going to say. Yeah. They're not story driven. And I, even at that age when I, well, I was 30 when I got here and Mike Saltzman, who had hired me, you know, I was never a joke guy. I was a story guy. And Mike would say to me, but we need story guys in the room. And I was foolish and believed him. <laughs> and then I got to the room and I was, first of all, I didn't know that staff writers, you know, the lowest level of the writers, you're just supposed to shut up and listen. And, you know, Mike and I had like, had a year of developing a thing together. And, you know, we were, I was myself with him and I didn't know not to be myself in the writer's room. So it was a brutal smackdown that I probably deserved because I was like, but what about the character of Norris 
catharsis. Where's the <laughs> moment where she turns in the story and huh? they're all just looking at me like, and every word I would say that they hated or didn't understand, they would write down on a legal pad and look it up to see if I was using it correctly. Oh my God. Which I was. Was, yes. <laughs> anyway. Um, I, it's like the older sibling that always questions every single thing yeah. you say or do. But I mean, I was, I didn't know. I really didn't know the politics of it all. Right. So. But I do have to mention that you, you mentioned the Amazon voice about Wonder Woman. Yeah. And clearly, you had a love of comics from an early age. Yeah. And then talk talk about, you know, manifesting a destiny, writing <laughs> Wonder Woman in 2017. Tell us about that. That it was, yeah. weird. I mean, it's, a, it's one of those things that makes you believe in something bigger. Or, um, so I was obsessed with the character as a kid. I, um, and it was, I think it was fed by Super Friends, on ABC and then Linda Carter's three seasons of Wonder Woman, definitely (laughs) fed by that. But I, you know, as a gay kid growing up, like I didn't really identify with Batman or Superman. I identified with Robin, but (laughs) I'll move in with a handsome man and live in his house. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but she, I don't know, she's, she's an outsider too. And she was one of the few characters who like had an emotional life because she was a lady. She was allowed to, you know, in comics, like they're not written for women for, for male audiences. Uh, I'm sorry, they're, they're only written for male audiences. So she was unusual in that you could imagine an emotional life for her and Mm -hmm. she had a romantic life and she had Steve Trevor. So I bonded with that character and really she was my favorite for a really long time. And um, I wrote this play that was essentially about my relationship with my mom, but using the Wonder Woman figure as a metaphor. And it was, and Tim Blake Nelson was the lead and Ellen Parker, uh, just these incredible actors. Amelia Bensusen directed it and she's an incredible director. Um, and we we had this amazing experience. And then it's a weird one because it's because of the OC that I started writing comics. Shopify presents Cool Sheets from AHA to... I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my AHA moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash podcast 22. Shopify.com slash podcast 22. Should I just tell it in chronological order? Yeah, however you feel. Well, oh, so I'm into it. <laughs> I a lot of my story is I had um, I was in a ten year relationship, which was a marriage, except that we couldn't get married because we're both boys at the time, and um, and Mark was not. He was a fan of like the uh, he liked that I liked that stuff, but it wasn't his interest, and so you know. I would confine the comic stuff to like my office and that was sort of it. And when the relationship ended, you know, I had a wealth of like comic book art and um, maquettes and action figures and stuff that I loved that just sat in a closet because it, there was no room for it in my relationship. And I had a friend who came over and said like, you know what, I want to, he was, he was doing some interior design and he said, I want to just open the closet door and let all of this out because it's really great and we can make it like a museum. It can be like 
it can be beautiful. Because I was worried. I was like, I'm single for the first time in 10 years. I would really like to be sexually viable and not <laughs> have someone walk in and see action figures and walk out again. I'm not sure if it's going to work <laughs> right. with the new me. And he was like, I promise you will have sex. Um, so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to spend more time in the house than I will having sex. So let's go for it. <laughs> so awesome. when I met Josh... Like, that was the house that Josh walked into, and he called it the Fortress of Solitude. Like, it was everywhere. I mean, I, I've, ta I've taken, I've done it, I've done But this was like my post-divorce, like, all right, I'm just going to let it all out. And Josh would walk in and be like, wow, so, okay, I get it, I get it. So, you know, in the early days, we would work at his place. We lived very close together in that Fairfax district, or we would work at the Fortress of Solitude. God, when he had his apartment. Yeah, wow. when we had his yeah. And Josh has admitted that he's the music guy, you were the comic guy. Yeah, Josh had read some comics, and I think, I mean, he got back into it, because I know he wrote that X-Men movie, like, during the OC, too, right? Or did, Oh, that sounds familiar. I think he did. Okay. I oh, never okay. got to read yeah, it, yeah, but I yeah, really, yeah. Okay. I was excited about it. You're right. Um, and I think we were even talking about Runaways back in the day, and... Mm -hmm. and Which is his Marvel show. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, because Ultimate Spider-Man, we know we had, I loved Brian Michael Bendis at the time, which is obvious now looking back at these episodes for the first time in 20 years. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, so so it goes back to this moment, the OC, where I have this memory, and Josh and Stephanie can correct me, but and we can talk about how I met Josh and Stephanie. But there was a moment before we started shooting the pilot, and we started working on this Bible, which I'm sure you, he's told you guys about. Like, well, the first... I, we asked if there was a Bible. Yeah, there, there, there is. is. And we, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think Corey Martin was with us at the time. Oh, she was working yes. with Stephanie. Did she mention it? She had the. She built it like it was a binder, and yeah. you know how those she guys, brought some notes. Yeah, to I have her. all of it. I mean, oh, you do. Oh, yeah, it's on. Um, you know, wow. there was some. There was. I looked at some of the potential. I'm all over the place right now, but I was looking at like stories, long term stories, and there was one that I don't know if we ever. I left after second season, so maybe right. you guys did it, but it it was this very. It's very short. It just says Summer gets a parking ticket. Did you guys end up doing this? <laughs> no, Summer that gets I a remember. parking ticket. And ask Sandy for help. And I don't know at what... I think it must have been in the back half of season two. But because of Summer's sense of... Profound sense of justice and her mouth, she goes off on like person after person after person, standing up for herself and gets... In, the charges gets, just get higher and higher and higher. So it was like this great like getting Sandy and Summer together yeah, on like a no. legal... But, but that would have been so fun. Sandy walks away going... Coming back to Seth and saying like, I get it. Uh, I get it. You know what? Yeah. The fans of this podcast and this show would love to hear some of those stories. If you would ever share them with us. Yeah, I'll send yes, them to you. Yes, that would so be you, wonderful. I mean, I should send them to Josh first. Oh, okay. I'm going to let Josh vet the ones he wants <laughs> he's to. Busy. He's busy. He's, he's doing know. a show in New York right now. I love that. Um, but there, I mean, there were some good ones. There were some really cute ones. But mostly we were so hungry. We were such a story machine. We did them all. Like, there's very few that I think got abandoned and that document went all the way to like episode 27. So at that point, I think we knew we had that pickup. Right. You know, because right. we generated a bunch of material before we started entering while we were shooting the pilot. And then once we got the pickup, we we just kept going. Right. Yeah, that that a lot of storyline was burned through very quickly well, in the first season. I mean, burned through has sort of is a, that a, Is that a negative connotation? Well, f only Sorry. for me because what Neil Gaiman sometimes <laughs> says, I feel like we're burning through this story very okay. quickly. Oh, no, it's triggering. And, and, I'm, and I'm like, 
because mm, burning implies that you're burning, you're going through it too quickly okay. and you're not paying it due. As fast as the show moved, and I think Julie Cooper, her trajectory, I feel like maybe we could have taken more time to get Julie and Caleb where, you know what I mean? Like your character had to pivot a lot mm -hmm. um, very quickly in those mm -hmm. first two seasons. But for the most part, what strikes me now watching it is, and this is a tribute to Josh as a filmmaker, is the show, especially in post, really took time out for silent moments, for private character moments, especially for a show that was as dialogue-driven as the OC was. Um, I was, that being, uh, I had not remembered that. Mm -hmm. Like when Daphne leaves, is leaving and tells Kirsten, I'm going and he's better off with you, leaving Ryan forever. The Don, yeah. Don, plays, Don, play, play, like, that's, that's the actress's yes. name, um, Don. Don. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that, she, first of all, that Ryan catches her, right? That comes out of the pool house and catches her. They don't say anything to each other. Then we cut out to Don, to Daphne's point of view as she's leaving the house. Nothing is said. I was just like, I don't remember these moments being built in. And I'm so impressed that Josh knew to build all of these silent, emotional, deeply felt. And that's what that's why I think we're still here talking about the show. Because if it were just the, you know, the show is so many things, but it it it's so profoundly and deeply felt. And and because of you guys, it was so authentically delivered to the audience that I I yes, we 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 crammed an enormous amount of story into those first mm -hmm. few seasons, especially. But I was really impressed going back to see that Josh never rushed any of those moments. Like those moments were all landing right. in really profound ways. And uh, and um, yeah, I found that really moving that he at twenty seven he knew to take time out for that because I think I think you know the thing as a writer on the show you really wanted your dialogue to be. Schwartzian and Sparkle, <laughs> you know, you really wanted to deliver him something that he didn't have to lose a weekend rewriting. Um, and it, but, it, but I think what is most important, what was ultimately most important to him was the emotional authenticity mm -hmm. of it. And the way I think we talked about this a lot was how do we want the audience to feel at that moment, you know? And it's very intentional. Yeah. We had a, we talked to some um, guests recently who said, actually, the, for that specific reason, because the storyline, there was so much storyline, that's what set it apart for them. Yeah. And it was the, magnetic. Right, right. That's one, that's one of the reasons they, 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 um, it just resonated with them as different and new and refreshing as yeah. a young person. It was a hot wired show in every way. And I feel like, I feel like we must have been responding to Gail Berman and to Fox's, um, I feel like there was a lot of we need act outs that are going to keep people coming back. And I think it was, I think there was an addictive quality to the show. It's the opposite of the sort of streaming model now where most people watch TV while they're on their phones. Mm -hmm. And with the OC, like you can't really do that. It's right. moving too fast. And um, I've said before, I like to watch it with subtitles because there's so many things that I didn't see before. Yeah. It was such a good trick. Me too. Yeah. Because you can hear all the little um, improv that, that Adam did yeah. or things that you just don't catch. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I yeah. do that too. A lot, yeah. yeah, a lot of Brody improvs. But how did you first meet Josh and Stephanie? Well, I was coming off of Gilmore Girls at oh, the time. Okay. Um, that's quick dialogue. That was quick dialogue. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and that's where I met John Stevens, who I, who I brought over 
um, I wanted to bring him over right away and he had another year on his contract. Um, but we got John in the second season who was on the Gilmore Girls staff. And then John was there the whole time, I think. After I think that. so. Yeah. Um, so I believe, again, Schwartz would have to confirm that he had developed a pilot with a friend of mine who'd worked on Party of Five named Lisa Malamed. And I think Lisa had said, you need to meet my friend, Alan. Um, and I wasn't going to go back to Gilmore Girls. I'd gone from Sex in the City to Gilmore Girls. And I was thinking about taking some time off. And I remember Lisa calling me and saying, you're about to meet my friend. I'm going to, I set you up with my friend, Josh. And my agent, Larry Sauls, um, at UTA sent me the script and I read it. It was the pilot. It was an older version of the pilot. And I thought, this is not me. Like, you know, it was, and the pilot is its own animal. And I think the pilot really was a Trojan horse in that. And several of your guests have commented that it has a more serious mm -hmm. tone than the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. And I think it absolutely needed to in order, like if Fox, if Josh had said like, it's going to be really self-aware and meta, Fox would have been like, ah, yeah. no, <laughs> don't do that. Right. I love Cocoa Floss. It was founded by two sisters, a dentist and an artist on a mission to make flossing more motivating and rewarding for everyone. Cocoa Floss is like a loofah for your teeth. It's made up of more than 500 textured interwoven filaments that snatches plaque and debris from between your teeth and gums. I love this stuff. You know, I have to admit, I'm not the best at flossing, but since I've had Cocoa Floss, I do it every day and they have new limited edition scents and I love the vanilla bean one. They also have dark chocolate scent, passion fruit, and sweet pineapple. Go to cocofloss.me slash OC to get 30% off site-wide and free shipping and check out their four-piece set where you can try four different fragrances to find your favorite. That's C-O-C-O-F-L-O-S-S dot M-E slash OC and the discount will automatically be applied at checkout, all lowercase. All orders over $20, ship free in the U.S. I have a love-hate relationship with working out. I am not kidding. Sometimes I just don't have time in the day or the workout classes I enjoy fill up so quickly, it's easy to get shut out and become unmotivated. Peloton is great. They have these music-themed classes that I really enjoy. I was rocking out pretty hard to Allie Love's 80s cycling class, especially when Bon Jovi came on. I mean, come on. Who's not going to get crazy when you hear that? Nothing gets me moving like the perfect song or a bomb playlist. Right now is the perfect time to try out Peloton. The Peloton Bike Plus is now $500 less. It's best price yet, including free delivery and setup. And there are more game-changing prices available on the original Peloton Bike and Peloton Tread. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. So I showed up, I went to McGee's place, Wonderland Sound and Vision, and I met um, and I had already known Peter Johnson through, I think I, no, maybe, I think I did know Peter Johnson. Did who he was come from there Fox? At the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think I did know Peter. Um, and I met David Manperl that day, who was also working with McGee there. And I, I don't think McGee was there that first day. I think Josh and Stephanie told him about, told McGee about me. And then when we met, he had all that stuff. But, um, but we met and I remember basically telling them not to hire me. Um, like we talked, we had so much in common. We had the, uh, pop music in common and, um, all of our, the, what we love to read and what we love to watch and our senses of humor. And, you know, it was instant fun with the three of us. Like I loved them. It, I fell madly in love with both of them. And Lisa said that that would happen. And, but I basically said like, I don't know anything about this world. I'm a Jewish 
gay guy from Tulsa. <laughs> and Josh said to me in that meeting, no, 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 no. It's not, that's what the show is going to be. It's not going to be about, you know, the OC, um, that point of view. It's the, it's coming from the the point of view of this family of outsiders led by, you know, Sandy and, and Seth and Ryan and Kirsten. And, um, and that's what the show is going to be, I promise. And, and he, he sold me. Like I walked into that meeting basically like I'm doing this because Lisa told me that I would love him and I did. And then I left my, and I called my agent and I was like, I think I'm working on the OC. (laughs) Like it was one of those like instant, this is someone like, I just felt like I had known them forever. Um, and that's what happened because I think we started like the next day. Wow. Yeah, because we had to start building a world out while we were, and I hadn't met the cast. Like, I don't even remember what, I should look at the calendar and see how much time we had, but I was hired. I was a supervising producer on Sex in the City who had then done a year of consulting on Gilmore Girls. So I was hired at CoEP and they, because Josh had never done this before, they wanted an experienced season season showrunner to supervise and to just help and make sure that to let Josh be Josh and let Josh write. And then this person would, would take as much as this person could off of Josh's shoulders. And I was pretty soon designated because I was the one with the writer's room experience. Like I would be in the room, running the room, manning the board, putting the beat sheets out and the outlines out and getting the material out and feeding Josh, you know, material. Cause as you know, the showrunner doesn't have, there's so many places the showrunner has to be that he can't be in the writer's room for very long ever. There are just 18 other places he has to be. So, um, so yeah, so I pulled friends in from other shows. I pulled in Deborah J. Fisher and Eric uh-huh. Messer from Party 5. And at that time they had been on Alias. They had uh, gone into that camp, the JJ camp. And then I brought Melissa Rosenberg over from Party of Five. It was all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. We hired a guy called Joe Doherty, who'd been one of my favorite 30-something writers at the time and a really amazing playwright who helped us out in those first few weeks. Um, and I'm probably forgetting somebody, but it was a skeleton crew. And then we were in a trailer while you guys were shooting the pilot. That's crazy. And Josh would shuttle back and forth. And, you know, we're furiously writing on whiteboards and getting this Bible together. And Corey Martin was, I remember, <laughs> writing it all down. And Josh and Stephanie would come in and out. And it, I've never done anything like that in my entire life. It was insane. Wow. It was insane. But it really exhilarating. Do you remember getting inspired by, oh, like seeing the pilot and then saying, okay, now how do we, as a writer, being inspired by a certain character and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Like obviously Seth, we're going to, because of Adam Brody's uh, performance or Rachel Bilson's performance, um, is that ultimately what a writer needs to do is see that, get inspired and then see a through line or see something, um, a story arc that could be possible? Does it just happen organically in television? Well, as Josh, I think, said on when he visited, one of the times he visited you guys, like there was a lot of stuff that was just like conjecture on our parts before we knew you that never, that we didn't ever get around to doing because the minute we saw you in dailies and we saw dynamics um, and there were a lot of shifts. It was, I remember Gail Berman having a reaction to the Seth character on paper and I, I have this vivid memory of me and Stephanie and Josh sitting on the floor underneath that huge leather sofa in McG's office <laughs> and being like, what can we kept making adjustments to Seth? And I just remember 
that's when the Michael Patrick King thing came into my mind and Josh made the decision, like, Seth is going to be us. Like, let's just embrace who we are. Let's embrace the music. Let's embrace the comics. Let's embrace that. And, and that was a real, that was pre-Brody. So that decision happened pre-Brody, at least for me. I don't know, because I hadn't met anybody or seen any auditions or anything. So it was all... It wasn't until we started seeing dailies from the pilot that things started to really take shape. But absolutely, like, once we saw what, I mean, especially with the two of you, because you were guest stars, it was instantaneous where you see stuff happening on camera where you were like, I wanted more of that. Um, and that was immediate. With both of you, that was immediate. I mean, you saw how much material you guys had in the subsequent episodes after the pilot. And it, it just kept growing. And And one of the things I loved about Josh and still love about Josh is that we, at least for those first two seasons, we had like a no villains policy on the show at all. So like one of my favorite things was watching Julie Cooper become <laughs> someone, you know, she, she started as the antagonist in Marissa's life and in Ryan's life. And then things turn and you are rooting for Julie Cooper fairly quickly. Like, she becomes sympathetic because of what's going on in Jimmy's world. And, and, but a lot of that was because we knew you, that's, that was in you. And, and a similar thing with Summer, where this character who is just supposed to be, you know, an object of pursuit um, for, <laughs> for Seth becomes the most soulful, compassionate person <laughs> on the show. Where like, there's so much like, I, there's, you, I, I was trying to figure out my favorite episode and I don't know, there's so many great moments, but I had forgotten where Ryan comes over and sits on the little pillow across from you, like yeah. cross-legged, and you're listening to Lynn Grabhorn, which <laughs> I was listening to at the time and Josh was making fun of me for it. But anyway, I was, but uh, it's so delightful those little moments where like you and Ben are sitting on these ridiculous pillows, <laughs> having this intimate conversation. And then that scene opens up like a whole, oh, we have to get Ben and Rachel in more scenes together. <laughs> like it just, and that kept happening with you too. Like all the Julie Ryan scenes that were like electric. It's like those and, two in the same room. It's like, what? And then, yeah. Yeah. Talk about Luke, please. Yeah. That was yeah. a huge... I'm still so... I rewatched the secret episode um, uh, to prepare to talk to you guys because I really haven't watched anything in 20 years. Oh. And I and that came out of Chris. Like, you... Chris looks intimidatingly beautiful to this day. Like, oh, yeah. he hasn't aged a day. And then you talk to him and we had music in common and we had Nashville in common and, and there was so... Uh, he is such a soulful, caring, lovely human. Yeah. And Josh made the decision very early on to have Luke save Ryan's life, right? So that's where the turn in the model home comes. And then slowly you just, we just began to see more of him um, through Ryan's eyes and ultimately through Seth's eyes, but I guess mostly through Ryan's eyes where, and we had said this from the beginning that like, even, we'll get to the point where even Luke is revealed as an outsider in this community you know, and, and lovable and goofy. Yeah. That was so fun. Yeah. And it, and the fact that we were able to do it with him, it, you know, the question then becomes like, 
once they're all together, like, where do you go with this character? And But I was desperate to hang on to Luke. I mean, Josh will tell you. <laughs> I was like, wait, there's so much more we could do. But it's so tricky because you're always trying to navigate the romantic relationships mm-hmm. and you have a certain cast budget and, it, you know, it becomes a math problem. And, and uh, but, but that was, that was Josh's commitment to, you know, I want people, that Trojan horse thing just kept happening where you think, that Luke is one person, one way of being, but Marissa loved him. They were together for years. So who's the person she fell in love with? And then slowly over the course of it, you start to see it. And the fact that we got to do that was amazing yeah. to me. Luke at the Rooney concert, I think is all time. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> Rooney. Yeah. <laughs> I've met those guys in, uh, in our adult lives. In, <laughs> two of the guys from Rooney are, are sort of friends now. Oh, really? And it's, it's amazing to be on the 20 years on the other side of that and be able to talk about it. Yeah. Anyway. What's the naked man test? Oh, the naked man test. Yeah, so, what is that? I and I haven't used it in a while, but you, but you're reminding me. So, it, it, when you're writing a scene, it's important that everybody have a point of view that no one else in the scene could have, right? That you write dialogue like a summer line isn't. You could never erase Summer's name and put Julie's name over a summer line, and vice versa. And um, oftentimes, um, actors, you guys are two perfect examples where you come in and because of who you are as people and who you are as actors, you know exactly, like your presence has informed who those characters became in such a way that you always know how Summer's going to react to something and how Julie's going to react to something. You always know. And certain characters you don't know. And I used to say in the room, you know, put the character through the naked man test. If if this character is suddenly in a room with a naked man or a naked woman, depending, but um, in suddenly in an uncomfortable revealing situation and there's no escape, how does that person react? And usually (laughs) it will help you decide, make a choice about a character if the actor's not informing that choice or the idea of that actor. um, You can put that character in in an extreme situation and sort of force yourself as a writer to make a choice about who they are. Wow. And it helps define them and you, and by, you know, in order for you guys to be able to make successful choices in scenes, we have to have already made choices that lead you in a, in a direction. So, and I think a lot of times because we were bringing on so many guest stars and this, every show I've ever been on Grey's Anatomy, you've got patients of the week every week. And each of those patients needs to be somebody the audience falls in love with and wants to invest in. And it's, you've got to make them pass the naked man test. Ideally, you would take the actor out to breakfast or I would and, and get to know them a little bit and and I feel like that's what Josh does successfully too, is like, I just need to hear their voices and who they are. And Oh yeah, he and really the, puts it in the, the script. I, think, yeah. Yeah. I feel like he was hovering after, during the pilot or after. <laughs> yeah, there's I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of personal things that he wrote in, wrote in the scripts. For sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's also through watching dailies too, because we got to see you guys unguarded and yeah. Um, but that's the ideal is, and that goes back that to That is like, so fascinating to me though. Oh, that that's the I, Not everybody process. works that way, but Josh right, worked but, that way and yeah, I worked that way that's too. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, he comes up with some unique moments like like Marissa and Seth talking about music. Misha and, and Adam had that conversation and he was, and Adam was uh, surprised at her music taste at 17. Yeah. 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 So did you, um, is this is the Seth Cohen starter pack you and Josh? Yeah. It's a good combo. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't remember whose idea it was in the room that we do a Seth Carter uh, Seth Cohen starter pack. I remember having a conversation about how we both admitted and we were ashamed that 
um, in order to find someone, a partner in life, they had to like the same things that you liked, right? Like it's a very young idea that the person that you're right for has to share your tastes. And so, you know, you would make mixtapes for people in high school and be like, this is my soul. <laughs> <laughs> like, Absolutely. And Seth is like, all right, I think it's very important that if we're going to get to know each other, these are the things you need to have processed and ingested so that you know my soul. Mm-hmm. And so my contribution, I believe, was Michael Chabon's The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Right. Ah. And then... Which at, is also Brody's, one of Brody's favorites. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I knew that at the time. Yeah. But, um, there was some death cab. Like, there was some, yeah. yeah, I think everybody was, contributed yeah. something. Oh, the Goonies was in there. Yeah, that's Josh. That's Josh. Yep. <laughs> I never got the Goonies, but that was definitely Josh. Really? And I had some. We. I mean, I appreciate it. But <laughs> I, I was. I never quite got it. But uh, but yeah, and then actually, Michael Shabon wrote us thank you notes. What? Yeah, it was a, like a career high for me. Wow. I was blown away. Yeah, people were watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting thing. We, we're we're exploring all of these small impacts that the show had. All of a sudden, um, sales of Uggs went up when Misha wore them. Um, certain books that were featured on the show or or all of a sudden got some yeah. some attention. So let's talk about how the idea or the, the comic book itself, that storyline, had was that already in the Bible when you guys started or did no. it develop? No. And I was looking, I was trying to go back and look to see the evolution of Seth of the comic book content on the show. And I was, I was, we were actually pretty subtle about it, I think. Like you would see Ryan or Seth reading comics, but they wouldn't necessarily talk about comics. And I felt like it wasn't until season two, because I had already named a character, Mr. Bendis. You know, one of the teachers at Harbor was called mm-hmm. Mr. Bendis. But then like, I have Seth name-checking Bendis later in the season, the real Bendis, Brian Michael Bendis. So I was like, clearly when I named that character Mr. Bendis, I never thought we'd be talking about Brian Michael Bendis on camera. Right. So I think there was a shift where, and it it feels like it got a little more pronounced over the, over the span of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't recall, like Josh was always really generous. We were obviously a, a Warner Brothers production. So all the comics were DC Comics um, right. on the on the show. Um, and yeah, I, that's how I met my friend, Jeff Johns, who's a, who became the chief creative officer of DC comics later. He was a writing a comic book called JSA about the justice society of America. And Seth, I think is, is we had one of the Jeff's covers on the camera and Jeff reached out and was like, let's go have lunch. Who are you? Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was this thing that sort of fed on itself. Like, I remember Marvel Comics got in touch with Josh and said, hey, we want you to write a comic. And Josh was like, you don't want me to write a comic. (laughs) You want Alan to write a comic. And so Josh put them in touch with me. And that's how Young Avengers, this comic book I I co-created with Jim Chung in 2005, that's how that was born, was Josh just basically saying, go with God and do what you were put here to do. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, and that was life-changing for me. Um, but that was, that was the year after the OC. That's amazing. I mean, the OC, like the representation of the comics and Seth in general, we've learned that it really, you know, they were in our living rooms every week and it made it friendly and safe and not it all of a sudden it was cool. We had quite a few people explain that the things that they liked all of a sudden they'd never seen it represented on TV. Yeah. And that's one of the things that now I think it led to some of the popularity. Would I you mean, agree? I hope so. It definitely, it definitely made them feel a little bit more um, ubiquitous, right? And I think part of the choice too 
was that it was up to Josh to decide whether Ryan was going to be into Seth's comic book thing or not. And the way that Josh sort of was, let me be me, like Ryan, let Seth be Seth. And so you'd see Ryan at breakfast reading a comic book. They never talked about it. Well, I guess they did. It was like, what are you reading? You know? Right. Yeah. But, uh, but it was, I think it was also that like suddenly Ryan's reading them and maybe Sandy's reading them. And there's never, I, I think that was just a stealth part of the culture that Josh sort of uh, allowed. It, it was very generous of him, I feel, uh, to, to allow me to share that with him and, and with the show. And then with, and then people responded. I felt less alone seeing the response to that. You know what I mean? Like I felt less, um, uh, isolated. Uh, and I was representing a lot of comics that weren't at the top of the charts at the time. So I hope people went out and read Legion and, you know. Yeah. I mean, it certainly Jersey. is a different atmosphere just from my personal point of view yeah. than it was even, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. But I mean, it took off after I left because Atomic County, I mean, you guys had maquettes and John Stevens wrote a comic book that Eric White illustrated because I had found Eric White who did the designs through, he had done a Legion of Superheroes story for DC Comics that I fell in love with. And he did one of the Michael Chabon uh adaptations for Cavalier and Clay. Um, and He's the illustrator. He's the illustrator. Right. And so I introduced Eric to Josh. Eric did the designs, which are which you respond to um, <laughs> when you see them and pose for later. Yes, I and, do. And uh, God bless you. Um, Rachel Bilson. <laughs> All the fearless, costumes. Fearless. <laughs> that like low angle shot of the boots. That oh, yeah. It's just yeah. it's oh, amazing. Yeah. Couldn't do it today. <laughs> I mean, what I mean, was your reaction to her Wonder Woman? That must have I, been pretty iconic for you. I, I was, I mean, all of it. Like the Spider-Man kiss. Like yeah. Josh yeah, there are just, a lot of references. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I apologize if I had any. <laughs> Listen, you, hey, you those are the most. Down. Adam was I wasn't. I was okay. I was wet, yeah. but not upside down. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of the comic book moments were the most iconic for my character. Amazing. For the whole show. Yeah. So um, funny. Yeah. And the fact that it spun off this really cool Atomic so, County thing. So, and then, so Eric White and John Stevens, they did an animated series there, of the yeah. show. And, I, for some reason, comic. I thought it was a book. I think it was a it book. It was. I couldn't find it. I thought they... Okay. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was just a series, but I felt like there was a book. Anyway. I haven't talked to I was John trying about to... it in a while. But John was a huge comic book fan too. John and right. I used to share comics a lot. And Brody was a big comic yeah. book fan. Yeah. So yeah, that was a question for, for me. I didn't know who was the actual fan, the expert, but everyone had a little bit of um, a fan yes. in them. John's ha uh, uh, Josh's house was not decorated in <laughs> superheroes, but he... He, 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 he appreciates he them. He appreciates them, for yeah. sure. And I think, you know, especially when he got into the adaptations and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he had to really get in there. Yeah. It's just so interesting to me, the whole comic book world. And then, you know, as we discussed, you got into it majorly and wrote Wonder Woman for crying out loud. I mean, that's a very big deal. Yeah, it was an accident, <laughs> but it was a very big deal. How, how? Why was it an accident? Well, I had, like I said, I love the character. And after the OC, long after, it must have been, you know, I, I had been on Grey's Anatomy for four seasons and was taking a break on Grey's, from Grey's. And I was developing and I went to Peter Roth with Jeff Johns at DC Comics and I said, David Kelly had just done this pilot of Wonder Woman pilot that um, Adrian Palicki had That's right. started. I remember yes. that. Yeah. And it never aired. Mm -hmm. It was, it had its issues. Yeah. It's available <laughs> online. Um, for the, but I mean, Annie Palicki looked amazing. Mm -hmm. She looked incredible. 
I mean, different. Yes. But, oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah. I am not wonder. I mean, I am five foot nothing. So. <laughs> um, but uh, so Peter was resistant, but then we he decided that he'd let us take a shot at it. And so Jeff and I developed Wonder Woman for the CW. And it was, it never really, the CW didn't really respond to, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but she's mm-hmm. on an island populated solely by women and he crash lands and all that stuff. They were like, you know, can't we just make her a cop who solves crimes? And <laughs> it just, all the stuff that made Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman. The fantasy was do. not well received. No, and right. they had a very strict model for Arrow, which was a success for them. Right. And I get it. And and the stuff we were trying to do was, was not appropriate for that model. And so it died. And then, but through that period, uh, Jeff and I had a lot of ideas developed. And so Jeff was then working as, when he was, working with um, Zack Snyder, developing the character for Batman versus Superman and then her own spinoff movie out of Batman versus Superman, they had sort of gone through a lot of different, like two scripts and three treatments and five writers. And and I felt like at the moment where I got the phone call, it was basically like, hey, we, we feel like we need to start from scratch on this movie. And, you know, Zack had said to Jeff, why don't you bring your team from DC and I'll bring my team and we'll just start from scratch and we'll just start trying to figure out who this character is and why this movie needs to exist. It was very, I was impressed because I was like, you've developed this thing for a year and you're just going to strip it down to the studs. And Jeff very generously said, like, there's only one person I need on my team and that's my friend Alan because he's obsessed with her. He always has been. <laughs> you have no idea how No one yeah. knows her better than Alan. Yeah. He was on so, Broadway with her. Yeah. <laughs> so I... You know, the I'm all nervous because it's a feature thing, and I'm on Scandal at that time, and so I had to leave Scandal early to get to Pasadena oh. by seven. So Shonda's like, okay. Mm. Uh, so I go, and it's just to talk about the character. They ask me what I want from Tender Greens, and <laughs> I just show up, and we started talking about the character, and and in talking about her, they had a very different thing going on with her where she was this immortal warrior and you know it was a much more war focused movie and i was just there to basically say look here's here's who i think she is here's the archetype that that i think people can relate to and i talked to him about disney's the little mermaid um the ashman and minkin little mermaid and i i basically said it's a parent-child relationship like king triton and ariel ariel falls in love with prince eric wants to be where the people are. Dad's very protective. It's the same. It's that's where it has to live is this is a mom who knows that the real world, the adult world is going to chew up her daughter and eat her alive. Mm -hmm. And she is fiercely protective. And this is a daughter who not only has fallen in love with who turned out to be Chris Pine, um, (laughs) but sees that there's injustice in the world that they can fix. And her mom won't because of her mom's fear and protectionism. And so she, and the minute I said it to Zach, Zach was like, <laughs> I have five kids. I know that movie by heart. Yeah. Like, and you could just see something unlock. And I, and it was the loveliest three and a half hour tender green dinner ever. <laughs> and then we walked out to the um, parking lot and I was, and I thanked him. I was like, that was lovely and really fun. And, and um, good luck. And he was like, dude, what are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, wow scandal. <laughs> He's like, well, how soon could you get here? I was like, 7.15. Why? And he was like, oh, dude, we're doing your movie. 
<gasps> that was it. That's how I chills. got that job. That's so fucking cool. It was cool. crazy. He's like, yeah, I'll just put whiteboards. He's got kind of McG energy. Yeah. Too. Like, so he's like, yeah, we'll get whiteboards and you can, uh, my assistant will ask you what you want for dinner and we'll order in and we'll just, we can just bang this thing out, man. Because they had shoot dates. They had locations picked. They were ready to go. Um, so that's how that happened was just, if you love something hard enough, long enough, I guess, no, you know, but the fact that you use the little mermaid, like I could not love you more. I mean, that was just, <laughs> but it's, but, but it's, it's so right. clear. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a mom story and it's a daughter story and you just don't see those stories. Right. Like you just don't get them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it was interesting. I did, I didn't do any press for the movie except for my hometown press and the reporter who was lovely who i think his name is michael johnson said like was it ever weird that that you were a man writing this movie writing the wonder woman movie which is a good question to ask and at that time it was 2017 um and and did you have to be aware of the of your gaze as a man and i thought about it for a second i was like no like Yes, in an ideal world, I guess a woman would have written the Wonder Woman movie, but I'm a gay man who has never, my brain doesn't sexualize women and it never has. And I I just had never thought about it. And I've only ever written strong women, you know, because I have a strong mom. And I was raised by the woman who raised her as well, who was also really strong. But it had never really occurred to me that like, oh, as a gay man, know it. I, there's no part of me that knows how to sexualize a woman or to see her as an object of desire. And, and that's really helped, (laughs) not just in life, but like to be able to write from that point of view where there isn't any gender. I don't know. We can have different, different genders can be heroes. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's absolutely. Yeah. We're getting into a phase, I think, where in order to I I do think it's very important to have authentic voices in every room. And and absolutely, I would have been, um, if Patty and I had co-written that script and and gotten co-credit, Patty Jenkins, who directed it, um, you know, I think that would have been great. And we even talked about it at a certain point. She was like, honey, this is not, I'm the director, you're the writer. She was amazing. (laughs) And I get it. And I I think women should, should have more, in all respects, they should write boy movies and, you know, there should be more representation all the way around. We we met some people, um, Grace Perry, she, her hero was Seth. And she said, you know, she wrote a wow. book called The 2000s Made Me Gay. And she didn't know, she didn't have characters that she identified with while she was ex, um, exploring wow. her sexuality. Yeah. And for some reason, the person, the character that that resonated the most with her was Seth Cohen. And 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 not so much it not about gender, just about his neuroses, his his the way he went about his world and trying to navigate the world of of Seth Cohen. She re- she recognized in herself. That makes me want to cry. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, was, we've had some really fascinating conversations yeah. because of this. Yeah. Well, and that's Josh. That's yeah. how Josh navigates the world. Like it's <laughs> there was such an openness. And and everybody was invited in. Everybody was a collaborator on the OC. And that, and I don't, and I think, you know, he's described as an old soul, but I don't think that even begins to to describe it. Like there's such a, his ego was never triggered. It was never about him. It was, it was a very inclusive place to work. And that that translates to the people watching it is, extraordinary 
to me and incredibly moving. Like Seth was just, uh, I mean, as though he could be self-absorbed, um, <laughs> self-aware like about his self-absorption. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, he was a loving, just a, it was all just pure love right. coming out, which I'm glad translated and made people feel yeah. less lonely. Everyone loves Seth. Yeah. Do you remember, do you have any favorite scenes that you remember either writing or watching? I do. Or, yeah. I do. The, and I, I think, I, I'm not going to remember if they're all in the secret, but there's this, uh, scene that I remember laboring over. And usually the ones you labor over never turn out well. <laughs> but somehow uh, this one, I end up loving the way that it was filmed and everything. But I think it's the beginning of, maybe the beginning of The Secret. It's the one where Dandy Warhol's We Used to Be Friends. So you get Seth coming down the hall, dancing down the hall, and then we wipe, the wa- the camera wipes the wall, and then he's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that whole scene was pure delight. For me. Yes. Like everything about it, Ryan being a funny Cohen, smiling, giving it to like the role reversal that Sandy and Ryan had the upper hand on Kirsten and Seth. I do love that scene. And I had forgotten about it. I was on Grey's Anatomy and I, you know, you get into these new jobs and it's go, 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 go. And uh, Meg Marinas, who now is one of the executive producers and is co running that show, she was our writer's assistant when I joined. Wow. I know. And I walked in early because it was one of my days on the board and I wanted to get stuff up on the board and Meg was there early doing her Meg thing and you would love her, both of you. And um, she said, I just want to show you something. And she had YouTube up on the big screen and she just played that one scene. Oh, no. And I was so like, <laughs> like confronted by it. Like, you know what I mean? This thing from your past that you, you bear, I didn't even remember writing. <laughs> and she was just like, it doesn't get better than that. Aww. And I was like, I love you. And that was such a gift that, and uh, yeah. And then I just remember being at my keyboard, writing that scene going, please, I just want Josh to like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? I hope Josh likes this. I think I even got on the phone and said, I'm just going to talk you through it. I, it may be terrible. When know? we got to that part in our podcast, yeah. I wanted to know if the song came for what came first, the dance, the song. And I believe we asked Norman Buckley and he, he said that the, um, that I think Adam did the dance and then they added the song. That's what I think too. It. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, but, I never put songs in the scripts yeah. because I knew better. Because <laughs> um, the Schwartz, you know, like I always envied his process because so much about his process because he would like, he wouldn't be able to write a scene until he found the right song, not just for the scene, but for the writing of the scene. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't listen to anything with lyrics. I can't even listen to anything with a melody. It has to be like binaural beats. Like <laughs> I can't, I can't, otherwise I don't hear the voices in my head, but like Josh needs it. And then the voices start when he hears the music. You mentioned Josh having no ego, but I've listened to a few of your interviews and and I love to ask people about life lessons, especially yeah. in Hollywood. And you've mentioned ego. That's a huge one for me. Um, yeah, any, I, and I'm, if you've listened, I, I tend to say the same thing over and over again. And I apologize, but uh, like, same. I have a really good therapist who I got. The, <laughs> the first season of The O.C. was really hard on all of us. And as Josh has said, I think we only had a couple weeks off and he spent his writing Athens. Um, and which I, when I heard that, I remembered and was like, oh my God, I don't know how we were not all hospitalized yeah. at that mm-hmm. point. Um, and Stephanie, the OC was just one of Stephanie's jobs. Like Stephanie was still running McGee's company and developing all this. Was those... she really? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's she true. She didn't come on as a full-time that's writer until I think halfway through season two. 
But she was a full on, even though she's credited, I think, as supervising in that first, like, this is her baby. Like, she developed it with Josh. Like, she was EP. Her job was EP level and beyond on mm -hmm. this show. Mm -hmm. And then she had uh, the rest of McGee's slate. She had the mountain and it, she's superhuman, completely superhuman. Yes. And they, I will say that day when I met them, they had the show dialed in. They knew what it looked like. They knew what it felt like. They knew what it smelled like. That I'd never seen a mood board before used <laughs> in a presentation. Like Stephanie had it. They were dialed in. And they had to be because they had pitched it and sold it. And um, it was, imp I had never seen it. I'd never been involved in a first year show before. And to see what went into that with them. Mm -hmm. And they came up with it like that world was in a collaboration with McGee and his, that was his childhood and his past. And that was a real, that was impressive to see. Um, and so Stephanie was always there. Like no matter what else was going on in McGee's world, um, even if she wasn't in the room, she was always there. So by the end of that first season, we were very tired. And I remember <laughs> yeah. I had, I have a friend, I'm going to name drop for those of you who enjoy television writers. One of my dearest friends is Winnie Holzman, who uh, created My So-Called Life and was on 30-something. And um, and when I told her about what we had gone through the first season and that we were about to start season two, she was like, I'm going to do something for you that I've never done for anyone. And I was like, what? And she said, I'm going to give you my therapist's phone number. <laughs> and I was like, Winnie. She's like, I don't normally do this, but she said, honey, I don't talk about you in therapy. Is that okay? So I don't think there's going to be a conflict. And I was like, I don't talk about you in therapy is the nicest thing anyone has ever <laughs> said to me. Awesome. So yes, and meeting him changed my life. Like wow. just changed my life. So a lot of the work that we ended up doing was about suffering that I, like I just wasn't enjoying I was on a hit show. I loved my job and I was suffering through it. And I think a lot of it, any suffering that I have experienced, I think has been because of my own ego trying to assert itself. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, you grow up wanting to know who you are and what space you occupy. And you want to, I, for me, it was all about like, I want, I am such a fan of the people whose work I admire. I would love to operate at that level. And I don't want to, I want my time on earth to, you know, be, have meant something or be worth something. And that it wasn't a, it wasn't even ego in the traditional sense of ego, but anytime you're sort of worrying about yourself or your time on earth, as I learned from Jesse, you are in fact engaging with your ego. And when you're engaging with your ego, you're not able to be present and hear the voices in your head. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I would imagine it's the same for actors too. Like if you're thinking about your performance, you're not actually present in a way that shows up on camera. Right. I so. think that's that thing where you, and you only learn this from saying, I'm going to take a deep, hard look at myself because if I'm not enjoying the journey, there's something off. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's like, well, I have control of that. You know, I can, I can look at that and say, huh, I think I've got a bad attitude. Yeah. And and that's my ego. Why? Why am I not enjoying this or something? But I mean, the OC I loved. But, you know, other jobs you haven't always, haven't always been grateful. Or I haven't always been grateful. But yeah, at some point you got to say, I'm making this stuff up in my head. Yeah. It's hard though, especially yeah. in, the, in the pace of it. But you bring up a really good point. I do feel like the OC was such a, such an extraordinary lightning strike, right? That, and I don't know if this is true for you guys because you hadn't, 
you hadn't had as much experience at that point. That was my first show. Like, I felt like most of us felt like this never happens. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, we're the luckiest people. This never happens. Well, I was fucked because it was my first show. I'm like, oh, this is how it is when you're on a show. Right. (laughs) It's really really hard. Sex in the City was really in that way because all the the four women had all had Had careers before. For sure. And so we were... Every day, we were so aware of how extraordinary that was. Right. I was pinching myself. Yeah. This is great. It was crazy. So the fact that I was at odds with myself through it, I and to this day, it's still something that I wrestle with, you know, is it's such hard work and it's so full on and there's, and work-life balance isn't really a thing. Um, How do you enjoy it in the moment? Um, And part of my regret about the OC is that I wasn't, like, I never saw you guys because right. I had never yeah. left the writer's room right. ever. And so I wasn't part of the celebration of it because there was always so much more work to do. Well, you know what? On a scale of one to 10, life isn't meant to be a 10 every day. Right. I mean, you're, That's you true. know, we go river rafting and it's not a 10 every day. You know, right. there's some days that are ones, some days that are fours, but that's still life. How are you going to react to it when it's not such a great day? Life is hard. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and then you die. <laughs> but We're it, really optimistic no, around but, here. <laughs> but we have such great lives. Like yeah. the trick is like, I just, I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's about grateful being grateful every day. Time. That's right. I want to know, tell me about The Sandman. Oh, oh yes. yes. Yes, let's talk Go about that. Because that's we... coming up and it's coming out soon. I think so. We're going to have a presence at Comic-Con in July. I think it's the first okay. in-person Comic-Con in a couple years. Wow. So, so they're, I think they're steering the release of it to be after that. Um, but it's a, it, it came out, I think in 88 or 89. I was obsessed with it as a college student. And it's like a scary th- movie, isn't it? No, it starts in a kind of dark place, but it becomes this really incredibly loving humanistic oh. journey about family and, but it starts sort of dark. Um, but it's, it's a really profoundly emotional and moving piece, but it's big. It spans, our first season spans 700 years and it's, whoa, whoa. it's who's, who's, the, who's the actor, the gentleman from Game of Thrones? Um, oh, Charles Dance is yes, in it. Yeah, I love Charles him. Dance is in it. But the lead, and I know this now from listening to your podcast, um, Tom Sturridge is the lead. What? Yeah. Tom is? And I didn't know he was the lead in Jumper. He was the he lead wasn't. in Jumper and I also did a movie with Tom. What movie did you do with Tom? It was called Waiting for Forever. Okay. With Richard Jenkins and Tom oh, and, and Blythe Danner. Wow. It's a, it was a small movie, it, you know. He is one of the loveliest humans. The best. I fucking love Tom. The minute I saw him for this part, there was no one else. Yeah. And he's been an incredible partner throughout and so smart and yeah. so intuitive and so vulnerable and present and and yeah it's it's been i mean there are 300 speaking roles in the in the 11 episodes of season one he's we have two series regulars tom and uh viviana shampong who plays his um essentially his prime minister his his number two um but he's the king of dreams. He's the personification of dreams, the dream that's world. That's Sandman. Yeah. Right. Okay, now it's all. Yeah, yes. it's a DC comic, a sort of right. an adult DC comic right. um, about the Lord of Dreams and and his, uh, he, and the humanizing, I guess, of a deity, essentially. Mm. Um, somebody who is very proud and very arrogant and very strict um, uh, at the beginning of the show and who slowly sort of learns what it means to be a dad, wow. really, a loving parent and sibling, and yeah. But it's really, 
it's just the most amazing cast and Neil it Gaiman looks has been amazing. an incredible collaborator. Well, and, I, yeah. yeah, I can't wait to see it. So when I first reached out to you and you said you were busy, you weren't fibbing. You were doing <laughs> this that <laughs> <man. laughs> I just need to learn how to take a day off. I just, yeah. You do. I you do should. feel like someone's going to watch this at Warner Brothers and be like, he should have been right. <laughs> Episode 205. What are you doing in the pool house? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I've been I've been hounding him for you a few have. months. And we're so grateful that you took <laughs> the time. You so and much. we also have um some fan questions for oh, you wow. if you're willing to stick around yeah. and, and listen to Thank them. Thank you guys. <laughs> hey Rachel and Melinda. My name is Anthony. I'm from Orange County, huge fan of the podcast. I have a question for Alan, and that's something that's always kind of like intrigued my interest, which is that in season three of the OC, Summer's dad moves to Seattle at Seattle Grace Hospital, which is where Grey's Anatomy takes place. And I know Alan has worked on both shows, so I'm wondering if he has any insight on the decision to make both these shows take place in the same universe, or just how that whole like line came to be. So I'm really curious, like, what happened with Summer's dad, and did he ever interact with the other Grey's Anatomy characters? Oh my god! Thank you. <laughs> Do you know? Has Michael so, Nori been on Grey's so Anatomy? <laughs> so Michael Nori came on, and yeah. at some point, so he has a relationship with Julie Cooper, and he ends up going off to some place called Seattle Grace. And that's because Grey's Anatomy just started and yeah. it was super popular and that's Josh's way of like... I didn't like, know Josh had done that. That's a little Easter yeah. egg that I didn't know about. Was, was yeah. my dad a doctor? Yes, he was a plastic surgeon. See, this is my thing. I Dr. don't Roberts. know. I know nothing. <laughs> right, Dr. Ro- that makes sense. But yes, it was It was done on purpose. To, that's to amazing. Be, because, the, yeah, referencing... Anthony, the, we all learned something here today. <laughs> yes, why, thank you. Thank you. I don't think Shonda knows that. I'll have to let Shonda know yeah. that. Yeah, there's a shout out. Next. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Melinda. My name is Lindsay, and I am from Alabama, and I have watched the OC um, for years, and I'm still watching it occasionally. It's one of my favorite shows. Thank you guys for doing this podcast. I actually haven't missed an episode. I look forward to it um, on my drive to work every day. Um, This message is for Alan. Um, My question is, um, who was the hardest character to write for? Um, and is it easy, um, to come up with lines on the spot if, if you have, um, an actor saying lines and you decide, Hey, I think this something else would be better to say, um, is it hard to come up with something on the spot or do you have to think about it for a while? But anyway, thank you guys so much, um, and you have a wonderful day. Lindsay, those were really good questions. Really good questions. We I didn't mean, do I, a lot of write, rewriting on the spot, did you? No, well, no. there was never an actor. I mean, there was never a writer on set. No. To yeah. my ah. knowledge. Where, I do have one story about going down set once. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Um, Are you going to tell well, it? Yeah, I'll tell no. the story. <laughs> well, just to answer Lindsay's question, questions, I guess. So we didn't... There are different ways to do shows, and normally... I won't say normally, but on most of the shows that I have done, dramas that I have done, or half-hour single-camera comedies, there is always a writer on the set to navigate that circumstance. Because when you put a scene up on its feet, it doesn't always work. And sometimes there do have to be adjustments. And directors are guests and visitors, and they don't know what you're doing four episodes, five episodes down the road, whereas the writer does. And oftentimes, you know, you can whisper in the director's ear and say, you know, this is what's really going on in the scene. And and if something doesn't work, especially as a showrunner, it's much easier because I'm there for every rehearsal. And if something's not working, yes, you do rewrite it on the spot and you do figure it out to make the scene work. 
the one time I got called down to set because Josh was busy, it was a scene that I think I had written or that Josh had written. I think it's in the strip, the first scene of the strip. And Haley's in the pool house, so Ryan's sleeping on the floor yeah. in Seth's bedroom. Yeah. And um, and those were always my favorite scenes. Like they're just you can't you can't miss Seth talking Seth Ryan's talking. ears off. Yeah. And that day, Adam was like, uh, no. <laughs> nope, not doing it. Not doing it, not monologuing. This is ridiculous. No. And I was like, mm, this is not, this is gonna be bad. <laughs> like, I was like, does he want to drop a line? And they were like, could you just, could you just come down here, please? And I don't think I've even talked to Adam about this since, but um, it did, it did prepare me for Patrick Dempsey later on. Um, because <laughs> uh, I have a story like this with Patrick. But I got down to the set and and the whole crew is waiting. And there's Ben, and they're in their pajamas, and Adam's in bed with, you know, the covers, and Ben's like just like there at the foot of the bed. And for whatever reason, and I do not know why, I had my laptop with me and the script. I climbed into bed with Adam. <laughs> And I pulled the covers over us and I snuggled up right next to him in front of the crew and I put the laptop on both of our laps and I said, let's rewrite the scene. Oh my God. What do you want us, what do you, what's tripping you up, buddy? Let's go through it line by line. And like, I think Adam was so like, or I could just do it. And I was like, cool. Oh, and, uh, and, yeah, and that was oh, it. Man. Good yeah. move, by yeah. the way. But I was like, I, what made me get in bed with Adam Cody? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. But so I'm you could be telling us that now. Yeah, that is <laughs> yeah. so funny. I um, was in bed with Adam Brody, and I wasn't originally in the strip episode, but I That's told right. Josh, "I'm like, I want to go to Vegas." I remember him coming to the writers' room and saying, "We got to get summer to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Make it happen." Yeah, it yeah. made it made it a great story. It did. It and did. Both the girls went right. Marissa no, went there too. No, just summer. Just me. Oh, I gotta wait. I was I like, listen, that. I'm going to Vegas with you guys. <laughs> gotta rewatch that episode. Yeah, a random skink. Yeah. Yep. We I remember shooting that one. That was one where I was on set because we flew down and yeah. not on a private jet as I remember, but I could be wrong about that. I don't remember. Um the writers didn't fly in private jets. <laughs> we weren't flown by Fox on private jets. Um <laughs> and the and the hardest character to write was Ryan. Mm, always, always, always yeah. the hardest character to write was Ryan. That's Ryan in the naked that's how the naked man contest was born. It's like cause with Ryan, you could put Ryan in the room with the naked man and you really just don't know how you just don't know how, how yeah. it's gonna how it's gonna go. And and the solution became let's get to know Ben better and try to steer toward Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like there are times with Ben, and I feel bad because Ryan was sort of inscrutable from the beginning. You know, like we learned early on that the less Ryan said, the more powerful Ryan was as a figure in the room. And Ben was incredibly generous. You know, a lot of actors would have been like, why does Adam Brody get all the lines in the scene? And Ben was like, please give all the lines to Adam Brody. (laughs) And and that's why, you know, like Ryan would slay with these looks. And then Seth starts talking about, teach me how to do that with the looks, (laughs) like Josh being meta. Um, but, But that we learned that Ben smoldered beautifully and he's a, he's incredibly smart yes. and um, and incredibly articulate. So that was the tough thing is like, how do you tap into this actor's incredible intelligence and articul- mm-hmm. the way he articulates his world if the character's power is in the quiet smolder? So, uh, so it was always a little bit tricky, but it, 
it worked. I mean, he's magical. Yeah. yeah. He was, we have also discovered the rewatching in so much detail and we've just discovered this straight man humor from him. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah. He's very generous. Yeah. I mean, and with Adam, as you know, like you can't be competitive. It's like, it's, and you know, Adam's being Adam. So the best, that's why you guys were so great together is because Summer enjoys Seth. Right. She enjoys him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like, I feel like Ben picked up on that real quick. Um, and it made that, interestingly, as the outsider, he became the calm, moral center right. of the show right. in a way that I don't think anybody had anticipated, who occasionally threw a punch. <laughs> occasionally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Hi, Rachel and Melinda. Um, I was just listening to your episode with Josh Schwartz and Love hearing him. about the Matt Miller sandwich. <laughs> and I had to know whether that was the inspiration behind... Rachel, you playing Lou in the show Chuck um, as the deli shop owner, because I'm pretty sure the sandwich that you created for Chuck was egg bread with turkey and oh, munster. Did you and then that? later oh. in the episode, Chuck comes in and says, it's in the Reuben family. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, Josh is going to love this. That is amazing. So, yes. I mean, clearly, I don't remember that, but absolutely 1,000% that is Schwartz adding the Matt Miller into Chuck. I was a deli. I worked at a deli. Amazing. My name was Lou. <laughs> I talked about mortadella. That was, I don't remember much more about my character other than that, but yes. He put a little Easter egg in there for you. He put a little Easter egg. The best. Well, <laughs> Did any make it into Heart of Dixie? Any, any little... Any Oh, I'm sure. Okay. You're asking the girl with no brain, but it... Yeah. I don't know. Well, Gerstein, did you, do you know Lila Gerstein? We didn't, our paths didn't cross on the show. That's right, because she came later. Yeah. She's also, a, she's a fantastic writer, yeah. and we had so much fun on the show, and I'm sure there were things. Yeah. <laughs> you know how that world is. We're going to have to do, or not me, but a, a Heart of Dixie podcast. Oh, yeah. to get into it. <laughs> You'll see Princess Sparkle appearing in like certain, the background. Oh, yeah, for of, sure. Yeah. She's yeah. just going to yeah. like fly across. I mean, if we could capture every Easter egg. My I, we, we would still be in season one. Right I'm sure now. somebody's done the annotated. <laughs> I wonder. <OC. laughs> Are you listening, listeners? Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. <laughs> we have questions. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe our fans could actually write in everything we've missed, and then we can go back and do a special episode and talk about them. Just putting it out there. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank I mean, you guys and so, much. so fascinating to me because yeah. this side of things, I'm just, I'm so into, you know, and how the whole thought process and every, how you got to where you are and your story is just amazing. But the, your dad, I mean, you must have grown up in all of this too. I did. I did he keep did. it from you? No. He was trying to no. shelter you from. I will say, <laughs> I think like I was a kid and I had a line in a pilot of my dad's and like, you know, I dabbled a bit, but I was still a kid. And my, yeah. my parents were like, when you're 18, if you really want to do it. Right. Because they knew. They knew. Yes. That's, my parents are the same way. But yeah, I was very fortunate in being exposed to it at a young age. So it wasn't really. And he and you would see him going to work every day and yeah. coming home and writing I, his I grew up off. on sets, yeah. you know, so at least there was that comfortability. Yeah. Uh, and which you had helped. the flash, right? Yes. he did the. That's right. Yeah. So my dad's a big comic book yeah. dude. Yes, he had the flash and Human Target was another. It wasn't. Oh, yeah. That, but it was, you know, all that sci-fi. The Sentinel was another show, which yeah. is kind of super power Esque, but yep. not actual. Maybe it was a comic. You and would know better than I. With Adam. Oh, yeah. and the Rocketeer. She oh, I didn't, remember. She didn't know oh, I that. Love the so much. <laughs> yeah, the Rocketeer. And he wrote one with Adam, which I forgot. 
Yes, I heard the podcast. It's like I have to go and find. It. Even yeah. Adam forgot. Adam was like, "All right, oh, I did yeah. that." I know because yeah, the two worlds Clearly collided. Your dad did the heavy lifting on that one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking, but yeah. So, anyways, growing up around it was 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 very cool. But um, yeah, I just think it's so awesome and such a fan of everything. The Sex and the City thing though was kind of the biggest thing for me. That episode in particular. I mean, <laughs> that was that was one of those magical shows where every second of it was you just felt so lucky to be I mean, part of it. Yeah. I haven't the watched people. the reboot. I haven't either and I don't know I don't think I, I want to. Yeah. Cuz I love it's so perfect in my that's heart how I feel. and I'm just like That's how I feel. Oh, have you heard me I call Zach Aiden? <gasps> On purpose? Yes, isn't that the analogy I use on the OC? Mm-hmm. Oh, you uh, in, our in our podcast. In our podcast, that's amazing. Yeah, he's Zach's like the Aiden. Is, he is kind of Aiden. He's like yeah. he's the Aiden. Yeah, I know the the chocolate lab Aiden. Yeah, that because Luke's the golden retriever. That Michael Cassidy. That Michael Cassidy. What a podcast Aiden. guest he makes. I mean, I, well, truly, I love him. I'm a I'm a huge Michael Cassidy fan. Yeah, yeah. same. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, you bring out the best in everybody. I have to say, and it's really. It's really, I know people have said this on the podcast before, but it is such a gift to get these years back. Like, it's so, I, we were working so hard. I, my memories are so scattered from that time, but it's so brilliant to be able to go back and enjoy this stuff and to see the impact it had on people all this time later. It's crazy. I was, I was so surprised to do the exploring and think, what? This is the impact? Yeah. Yeah. So it's the lessons really, are, are many and it's just been a joy. Yeah. And well, talking to everybody has been. And I don't know that at the time we, I was able to say to you guys, please know what a gift you were. I'm sure Josh has said that. Well, not to you, but maybe to you. <laughs> please know what a gift you were to the writers because you, there are certain go-to characters on a show where you're like, well, I, I know these scenes are going to sing because you can hear your voices so clearly. And and what you brought to the table, especially on that show, um, it, that was that was the fuel. Like it, it, you created every opportunity for yourselves that you ended up having. And your stories as guest stars who became, you know, iconic yeah. series regulars <laughs> so quickly. But it was a every day. It was a gift. Like every line I wrote for Julie Cooper, every line I wrote for Summer, pleasure every single time. And knowing you guys would knock it out of the park. Like, if a scene wasn't working, can we put one of you guys in it? And then suddenly it works. And it's a testament to Josh being able to see that that's where the money was, was like authenticity, humanity. Let's get to know who these characters are in their hearts and stay with them even when they're not speaking words. Like, get let's push the camera in closer and see what it is they're feeling. And that's I think that's why we're still here is because everybody still feels it when they're watching it. Yeah. It's the Schwartz. It's the Schwartz. It's... May the Schwartz be with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that on that note. Yeah. <laughs> eloquence, Mister Heinberg. <laughs> no shortage of words. I mean, <laughs> not a lot of long, introspective looks <laughs> on the way out. <laughs> yeah. No, but you but really. Thank you. Thank, thank you so you much. Such a pleasure. Coming. Yeah. Thank you. You too. Okay. And thank you so much for listening. Follow, rate, and review. Welcome to the OC Bitches, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like to watch us, check it out on YouTube. Bye, Bye. bitches. 
Hi, everyone. It's Rabia Chaudhry. And I'm Ellen Marsh. And we have a new podcast called Rabia and Ellen Solve, Solve the, case. the Case. As you know, I am a very smart lawyer. You are. You're so well-respected in the entire world. You know everything. Thank you so much. And as you know, I'm a famous Broadway star. Gorgeous. I sing like a nightingale. Well, yes. at least that's what your mom says. <laughs> Just kidding. This is Ellen Marsh. And, and I'm Robbie. Rabia. But we are teaming up to bring you a show like you have never heard before. True crime meets talk show. Nobody's done it. We're going to do it. We're going to do the impossible. And it's the two things that I love. Ellen, I think you'll like it too. What? True crime and talking? Yeah. I'm there. Every other week, we will have a guest talking about whatever true crime case they are obsessed with. We have a list, everything from the Lacey Peterson murder. Yeah, some of the most famous cases you've ever heard of, obviously, like John Benet Ramsey, the West Memphis Three, Chris Watts, Khalif Browder, Elisa Lamb, Madeline McCain, Sandra Bland, the Springfield Three, the list goes on and on. But they are all cases that you know, and we are going to dive in deep with someone else and just talk about them. No, we're going to solve the case, Ellen. That's right. We're going to solve the case. So subscribe to Rabia and Ellen Solve the Case wherever you get your podcasts. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.